The Bible is full of colorful characters that many of us learned about as children. But there's a lot that sing-alongs and felt boards can't really teach us about these characters. After all, these are people that really lived and died. People that really failed and triumphed, learned and listened, doubted and believed. Let's dig into these stories together, trusting that they've been passed down to us for the same reason these ancient people lived through them, to develop some character of our own. We are in our character series, season two, because season one was last summer. Um, if I have not met you, my name is Benjamin. I'm the other pastor, along with Melody. Um, so character season two. So we usually start these character uh, messages with a little guessing game. So why should we change that now? So here we go. So uh, I'm going to give you some clues. And... You're going to yell it out if you know the character. Okay, that's how that works. And uh, Melody has stickers for the winners. She probably will. Since I said that, she'll probably run out and get some stickers. Okay, so this character, we're actually going uh, over to the New Testament. New Testament character. Oh. What? Oh. Uh... And no, it's not Jesus. But Jesus is in the story. He's kind of important in the story. I guess that was another clue, that unintentional clue. Uh, he's one of the 12. He's one of the 12 disciples. Narrowing it down. No one's comfortable enough to yell it out yet. Okay. He might say, or you might sum up his, this episode with the phrase, seeing is believing. Say again. Thomas. Thomas. Yes, Thomas, the guy that got the word doubting attached to his name. Doubting Thomas. I don't know how fair that is. How would you like your nickname throughout the eons to be Doubting Thomas? Like Angry Steve. Remember the story of Angry Steve? Fearful Janice, that's a good one. Meathead Mike. It's not, not cool history, not cool. But maybe, like many of these characters, maybe old Doubting Thomas hasn't gotten quite a fair shake being labeled like that. But more to the point of the day, I hope that we can see today something that Thomas learned about faith something that Thomas learned about the character of Jesus, something about learning to trust in the faithfulness of Jesus. So, have you ever heard the term proof of life? Have you ever heard that term, proof of life? It's actually a movie called Proof of Life. Proof of Life uh, has, has to do with like, hostage negotiation. I'm taking a darker turn, apparently. Um, hostage negotiation. Uh, you didn't wake up and come to church thinking that you were going to talk about that. But here we are. Uh, when a bad guy has a hostage, right, or a prisoner, they might ask for something. You know, if it's a movie, they're asking for a lot of money and a chopper, right? So a ransom, maybe. Uh, but law enforcement would have to ask for a proof of life, right? Hey, how do we even know your prisoner, your hostage, is even alive? 
So they have to give them a proof of life or there's no deal. There's no negotiating. That's, that's proof of life. Now, last week, Aaron shared a beautiful message about, about waiting, about waiting as it had to do with Jesus, Jesus waiting for his time. And I think to some degree, we're all always waiting on something. Is that true? If you're not sure yet, just give it a few more seconds and then you'll, you'll probably agree. We're all always waiting for something. And in those waiting seasons, it can feel like something's being taken hostage. Like something's being taken hostage in those waiting seasons. Like, I don't know, maybe our certainty, our certainty, what we thought we knew, what we thought we could count on. Maybe our stability or safety, maybe our comfort, maybe even our peace can feel like it's taken hostage. You've probably been there. You might be there right now. And in some ways, I am. I am too. So with those, taken host- those things taken hostage in the waiting through the pain, sometimes we like to demand a little proof of life. We'd like to demand a little proof of life. We'd like some assurances, right? Like some certainty to cling to, something to, to kickstart our faith, to remind us that God is working for our good. But sometimes we don't get anything at all. We do not get our proof of life. And so we give in to proof of another kind sometimes. We give in to a proof of death. We take the absence of the proof of life and turn it into, well, this is actually proof that something has died, that something is not going to happen the way I thought it should. We can take the silence of the unknowns to be proof that whatever we're waiting for is dead. And that is where we find the disciples today in this story, right? Jesus is dead as far as they know. Jesus is dead at this point. He has been executed brutally, and they are waiting. They're hiding. And they have plenty of proof of death to go around, right? It's probably all anybody could talk about. And they're certain if they're found in their hiding place, they're going to be also executed or imprisoned, probably so. So we're going to pick up right there in John chapter 20. I'm reading out of the ESV today. John chapter 20 in verse 19. Jesus appears to the disciples. So remember, they're pretty sure he's dead. Completely dead. Not like mostly dead, like from the princess bride. He's totally dead. Uh, Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So there they were, hiding, waiting, not knowing what the next step was, afraid, no proof of life, lots of proof of death. And what happens in that place, that place of pain and fear? Jesus appears. Jesus appears into the waiting place. He appears right in the middle of the pain, right in the middle of the fear. Because that's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus does. He's not afraid of our fear or our pain or our shame or our lack of faith or doubt. And what he does when he appears in the middle of this stuff, unafraid, is pretty remarkable. I think there are a few things to take away from the way that Jesus shows up here. The way that he shows up here in the middle of this locked room when he's supposed to be dead. There's four things that I think we can look at right here. Here's the first one. And this is a real question. You can answer this one out loud too. What's the first word that Jesus says when he appears in that room? Yeah, peace. Peace. When Jesus appears in the pain and in the waiting, he speaks peace right into it. He brings peace right into it. And some of us need that word today. Some of us need that peace spoken right into where we are today. I urge you to stop and listen. If you feel like I need Jesus to say peace, to speak peace into this, I urge you to find a still place and listen because you will hear it. You will hear it. So first he speaks peace right into the, to the fear. Number two, in verse 20, he shows them his hands and his side. Now for them, that's pretty important because he's supposed to be dead. Then he appears without even coming through the door. So I imagine that's a little freaky. It's a little scary. They may not even know that it's him. Um, and plus, he, I think he looked a little bit different, maybe, after having done the completed work of, of the cross. So, uh, so they're not even sure it's him. But he shows them his scars. He shows them his scars, and then it says that they were glad. They were reassured that it really was him. But that's their proof of life, right? But for us, I think this means something more than just confirming his identity, right? I think it means for us, when Jesus shows up, when Jesus appears in the middle of the waiting, of the pain, of the fear, He's carrying with them the scars of your redemption into that place. He shows up with the proof of life. He shows up with the proof of the finished work of the cross. And he shows up with the power of new life. That's what Jesus is bringing into the painful waiting place, church. He brings the finished work of redemption. That's why we call it the one true narrative of redemption. 
because it's a story that's tried and true, and it's already been told. And whatever we're going through, it's all always being redeemed. And I know how radical that can sound. I understand. But the scars on his hands say it's all always being redeemed. The third thing that happens is that he's, he tells them he's going to send them out. He's going to send them out of hiding. He's going to send them out of this hidden room. Their time of painful fear and waiting was never just meant to just end. They were never meant to just be delivered from that so that they're safe. It was for them to grow through, not just go through, so that they could be sent into other places of pain and waiting and fear and darkness and doubt with the same power that Jesus brought to them. And that's a word for us now, guys. What we're going through, what we will go through, it's never just for us, and it's never just to go through. It's always to grow through, to be there for somebody else when they're growing through something of their own so that we can go and be the presence of love and go into the middle of their fear and waiting and pain. When we in this family are waiting for pregnancy news or job changes or medical news or healing or reconciliation among friends or family, when Jesus walks into all of that, it's so that one day we can share that story as a thread of the one true story of redemption with somebody else so they can see their story too is really woven into the one true narrative of redemption. And the fourth thing that Jesus brings into that is his presence. Now, for them, like literally, you know, he's in the room. He appeared in the, his presence was in the room. But then he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Think back to Genesis, the breath of life, Right? breathed into, breathed over, hovering over creation, breathed into Adam. And this time, the new Adam, Jesus, breathes the Holy Spirit into that room. And the Holy Spirit had not been unleashed, like, on the wide scale yet. But when Jesus comes into the middle of the pain or the doubt or the fear or the waiting or the hiding, his presence is there with him. His presence is there with us. Right in the middle of whatever you're going through, whatever I'm going through, wherever we are. The presence that Jesus breathed on them is the same one we have right now. Right now. I know that it doesn't always feel that way, does it? I mean, we like to try to be honest around here. It doesn't always feel that way. Sometimes we even feel like we want all the things that I just described. We would love for Jesus to show up. But we feel like we're missing it. 
Well, that's where Thomas comes in. Because guess what? Everything that just happened, Thomas missed it. He wasn't there. I don't know where he was. Maybe he was getting dinner. I don't know. But he wasn't there. So what happens? Moving on to verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Pause. At that moment, Thomas sees Jesus for who Jesus is my Lord, my master, right, my teacher, my master, the one I serve and yield to, and my God, Jesus, all man, all God. He sees the whole thing, maybe for the first time. My Lord and my God. 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Zinger. Thank you, Jesus. But we'll talk about that in a minute. So Thomas's proof of death had hardened into a need for a proof of life. Even though his trusted friends were telling him that Jesus was alive, he said, I'm going to need a proof of life. I think I can relate to that. I think you can relate to that. Some of you may be feeling that now. I know I felt like that a lot of times, deeply, painfully, sometimes in a moment, sometimes over a season. Some of us feel like we're missing Jesus. If he's showing up, we must not be there. You ever felt like that? Like he's showing up over there. Those people look like they're having a good time with Jesus. The way that they sound and, and, and pray and sing or talk. They look so close, but I'd love that. But I'm, I'm missing him. I don't know where he is. And I would say that's a very normal part of our walk. A very normal part of our work of our walk, rather. I would say that even though Thomas has become that sort of whipping boy for, you know, a so-called doubter, that I don't think Thomas was just demanding intellectual proof. I think it was more than that. I believe that in his demand for, un for, for certainty, underneath that, I think that he was afraid. 
I think he was afraid to hope. I think he was afraid to hope that it could be true. And that's what happens sometimes when our hearts harden a bit in the fear and the pain and the waiting, isn't it? Our, our intellectual demands for certainty has a dirty little secret, doesn't it? Underneath it all, that we're in pain. We're hurting because it feels like Jesus isn't showing up. And I think that may be what's going on with Thomas here. He's at that place where hoping feels too painful. It's too painful to hope. Like it costs too much to hope. So he demands the proof of life. He convinces himself that he needs certainty over faith. Did you hear that? He convinces himself that he needs certainty over faith. His doubt drives him toward proof instead of trust. But again, that doesn't sound like any of us. Not me. Um, proof of death can be a very powerful thing, can't it? When we have agreed with some sort of proof of death, it can try to convince us that whatever we're facing is beyond the reach of redemption. And that is the place where the hoping feels painful. But painful compared to what? Compared to what? Compared to the pain of believing that Jesus isn't going to show up? Or is hoping more painful than fail, falling into despair or faithlessness? Is it more painful than becoming jaded or cynical? Is it more painful than the pain of learning the hard way? But either way, at the right time, in his mercy and his grace, Jesus appears again to Thomas. He appears again and invites Thomas to touch and see the scars for himself. See, when Jesus appears into the doubt, it's the same way that he appears <laughs> into the fear and the waiting. With presence and with the finished work of redemption under his belt and the proof on his hands and his feet and his side. Do you see this, church? Do you see it? When we're looking for certainty, when we're looking for answers or proof, Jesus answers with his peace and his presence and his power. His peace and presence and power. That is the answer. And if you're waiting in the fear or doubt for Jesus to show up and give us the right answers or the certainty that we think we need, he will show up at the right time. But when he does, his answer will be peace and presence and power. His answer will be the finished work of the cross of redemption. His presence is the answer we're looking for, whether we know it or not. And the other stuff we're waiting on, the details, well, they're just details. He's got that. Our job is waiting and trusting that his character is true, that his grace is for real, that he is working it for our good, 
that redemption is still the one true narrative. I think when Jesus tells Thomas that those who have believed without seeing are blessed, I think that's probably a painful moment, don't you think? Hey, Thomas, I love you. Feel the scars. It's me. And by the way, blessed are those who didn't have to have this moment and they still believe. I think that was probably painful. But I think it was probably a good pain, a, a holy breaking, the kind that, that he needed, the kind that we need. And it's important here to look at the word blessed. Blessed are those who have believed, but they haven't seen. It's that word makarios, the Greek word makarios. It's the same one that you get in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, etc. It's the same word. And do you know what that word means? It means happy. It means happy. And look at this. There it is. This is from Help's Word Studies. Look at this. Makarios, blessed or blessed, describes a believer in enviable or fortunate position from receiving God's provision, his favor, which extend his grace, which makes large his grace. This happens with receiving the Lord's inbirthings of faith. Hence, faith, pistis, where we've talked about before. Pastor Melly's talked about it. So, pistis, the gift of faith that can only come from God, and makarios, happy, are closely associated. Okay. These moments or days or seasons or years of waiting in the pain or fear or doubt, they're not, it's not meant to torture us. Though it may feel like torture sometimes. But we're not prisoners. It's not meant to kill us. We don't have to wither away and diminish in the waiting of the doubt or the fear. On the contrary, we're blessed, we're happy when we believe without seeing. And in that, there's joy and strengthening in the waiting. Go to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, starting at 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary. Occasionally, I added that part. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, my friends, 
It's in the waiting that our strength is actually being renewed, not diminished. It's in our weakness that we learn to depend on the only true source of sustenance, of strength. And it's in the feelings of being disregarded or forsaken by God that our faith can find its way to true flourishing. What could happen if we started to view the waiting and the fear and the pain and the doubt this way? What could happen if we could cling to the words of Isaiah that the waiting isn't meant to kill us, it's meant to grow us? That the doubt that you're wrestling with or the fear that you're wrestling with or the pain that you're wrestling with, waiting for Jesus to show up, is not just something to go through, but to grow through. And what if we really started to believe that these stories, these moments of waiting and having our strength renewed is never just for us? We're always going to be sent out of those stories into someone else's story. I think Thomas learned something about faith that day. Don't you think? That faith doesn't need proof in order to count on Jesus. Because faith is trusting in the faithfulness of Jesus. Faith is trusting in the faithfulness of Jesus. It's not something we have to conjure. It's not something we have to go out and find. Beliefs that we need to cling to so we feel certain about something. Faith is trusting that the person of Jesus Christ is faithful. Counting on his faithfulness to do what he said he was going to do, to be who he said he was going to be, to count on the proof of life on his body, the scars, the marks of our redemption, that that is the one true narrative. Counting on the character of Jesus. So, let's continue being honest for a second. We're all waiting for something. Some of us may be smaller things. Some of us may be bigger things. There may be pain in that place. There may be some fear. There may be some doubt in that place. But today, I want to invite you to invite Jesus to come into the middle of that place, to come into the room of that place. So let's do this. We're going to take a couple of moments of reflection. Can we do that? Is that okay with you? I'm holding the microphone, so just say yes. Uh, we're going to do that. And we're going to practice a little, a little reflection, a little bit of stillness, a little bit of, a little bit of prayer. And here's what I ask from you. Participate if you can. But be honest. Be honest with yourself. Because when we're honest with ourselves... We're being honest before God because he already knows. So when we're honest with ourselves about what we're really feeling, we're agreeing with that God already knows, and it's okay to say it. He can handle it. So 
Get comfortable, not too comfortable. But here we go. I'm going to read a question, give you guys a minute or so to think, reflect, and pray. Number one, what situation in my life has come up in me during this message? Where am I facing fear, pain, doubt, or waiting in my life? I'm going to give you a moment to think, reflect, and pray. Number two, what are my honest feelings toward God regarding this situation? Where are you? Where's your heart in this situation toward God? Honestly. So I'm going to be honest with you. I'm doing this too. I, I'm not asking you to do something I'm not going to do. So when I'm sitting here reflecting, I'm thinking like about the situation and I'm thinking, oh yeah, Jesus, he can show up. Like I believe that. I believe Jesus can show up with peace and presence and power. But am I trusting that he can do that and will do that? in this specific thing I'm thinking of, in this specific fear that I'm carrying? <laughs> or is that just an out here faith? Like, yeah, that's who Jesus is. He's lovely, isn't he? Or am I owning that right into the middle of this fear? So that is why we have a number three. Number three is just a moment for you to pray, but you can go with this if you need to. Ask for Jesus' peace, presence, and power in the situation. Ask him to give you the faith to trust in his faithfulness. Thank him for the finished work of the cross and the power of his new life that resides in you. Thank you that he is the proof of life that we need.
band can come on back up. Romans 5 puts it all like this. Romans 5, starting with verse 1. Therefore, this is, an exci- this is exciting. Do you know this one? Look at this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Do you hear that? It's not something to be embarrassed of, to hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story that we have. Thank you for Thomas and his honesty. We get to see ourselves in him, that we get to learn about you. Good to hear your teaching. Jesus, keep teaching us to trust in your faithfulness. God, for those of us that are waiting for you to show up, for us to know that you're there, for us to feel like you're there, God, teach us the joy of waiting. Teach us that the happiness comes when we would believe without seeing. And I pray for those who are wrestling with doubt, those who are wrestling with fear, with pain, with waiting. Help our hearts to be expectantly waiting to welcome you into that place if we haven't felt you there before. To trust that you're not some abstraction. You're not just a nice story. And that you are our Redeemer who brings the finished work of redemption right into the middle of all of it. We ask for it. We beg for it. We pray for it. We look for it. We celebrate it. Whether or not we see it yet, we will celebrate. And we will preach it. We will live it. Thank you for teaching us today, Spirit. We love you. Amen.